Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Thank you for being here. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And today I have a guest who I've been trying to get on the podcast for quite some time, Thief Sutton. Now, you have seen that name on television for years. You've seen it on the big screen. You've seen it at your bookstore, if you still happen to have a bookstore. Thief Sutton, and of course he pronounces his name Thief and spells it P-H-O-E-N. F is really a renaissance man. He worked with me for years on Cheers. Eventually, he became one of the showrunners of Cheers. He did a series for Bob Newhart. Uh, he turned his attention to drama and was on Boston Legal. Also did Terriers, which was a very underappreciated show. He also did movies. In fact, he wrote a film for Robert De Niro, which turned out not to be so good. And then he made another transition and became a mystery novelist and has collaborated with Janet Ivanovich, also has his own series of mystery novels. This guy has done it all. And I sat down and spoke with Thief Sutton and we talked and talked and talked and there's so much there that I'm going to break it up into two parts so that uh, I just don't overwhelm you with it. Part one, we are going to talk a lot about television comedy and his life in sitcoms and how he got that rather unusual name. So stick around. Part one, my interview with Thief Sutton. Hollywood and the Vine. Okay, the first question I want to ask you is probably the first question that everybody asks you. The name Thief, where does that come from? How did you get the name Thief? Well, I wish I had a good story. I wish I had a good... For a while, I told people it was an old Irish family name. But actually, it was a, a nickname that my brothers gave me before I could talk. They used to play a game, and I would be sitting in my high chair, and they'd be knights of the round table, and I was the king, and I was King Thief. Okay. And and because of all the friends that I knew and was close to in high school and junior high school and all that were mostly through them, they continued to call me Fief. And everybody called me Fief, and my eventually my parents started calling me Fief. And uh, I became Fief. That was my name. And uh, P-H-O-E-F? Yeah, the, the spelling. The that's spelling, the normal spelling the of The spelling d- d- yeah. came later. <laughs> well, you know, Phoenix... Phoebe, right? It's, it makes sense. It does. It makes sense. Uh, I don't know. It's it's uh, the nice thing about it is that when they when you get uh, courtesy calls at home and people ask for Robert Sutton, which is my real first name, uh-huh. I know that it's nobody I know because <laughs> nobody. I mean, seriously, nobody calls me calls me Robert. Nobody calls me Bob. <laughs> my, my father even gave up on it. <laughs> and um, uh, and that's it's it's an interesting name because people you see it on the screen they remember it they don't know if I'm a man or a woman they you know it it, it 
sticks in people's minds. I guess I when you go to souvenir shops and things, you know, and they have license plates with people's names you and never, mugs and stuff like that, Coke uh, bottles, you, you know. You never see a thief. No, I've never, I've never run across another thief. I keep waiting for someone to name their child thief uh, <laughs> after me or, or just, and think that, that's an interesting name, thief. <laughs> and, of course, nobody can pronounce it. If they see it written, they call me thief and thief and thief. Right. Thief, thief, um, But, uh, eh, it's my name. Well, you are so prolific in so many genres, and I want to kind of go through it. Did you always want to be a writer? It seems like you did, even as a kid. As a kid. As a kid, I wanted to be a writer. I used to, I, I got a, I remember when I was like, in, before I was in the first grade, I got a typewriter. My, you know, my parents had a typewriter. Right. And I typed out uh, the book Hop on Pop. Remember that Dr. Seuss book, Hop on Pop? Yeah. I typed that out and thought, oh, I've written a book, you know. So, I mean, I, 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 uh, I always wanted to write a book, and I wrote short stories in 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 high school. Uh, you know, there were like mystery horror short stories that I would send into Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Miss, uh, Playboy and all those m- magazines that published short stories in those days. And and I had all the rejection slips on my bulletin board, and I was very proud of them, and never got one, never got one accepted. Then when I was in, and where Con- did you grow up? In, in, I grew up in, in Alexandria, Virginia, in okay. outside of Washington, D.C. My dad worked for the, I say my dad worked for the government. He, he worked for the IRS. I don't like to. <laughs> don't That's know. why you changed your name to <laughs> Fee. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and uh, uh, I, I got into theater in high school and college, and so I acted, and, and I started writing plays because, you know, I put them on in the, in the uh, little black box theater they had there and so that was my first foray into writing for you know dramatic for actors to read and I was in I was in plays that I wrote which is a a wonderful experience because you really can't blame anybody if it doesn't work you can't say (laughs) who the fuck wrote this or well the actor just screwed it up you know you're you're doing it all and um and and it was a great training, of course, for later on when I when I got onto Cheers because you know that was basically a play. I mean, you you were you were writing, you know, it was one set play, yeah. Uh, uh, entrances, exits, all that stuff. That, you know, and uh, and I didn't know a lot of other writers who had who had written plays. And I you know I had had regional theaters done did my plays around the around the country. You know, if we they give you. A three hundred dollars stipend that you never get actually mm-hmm. for gas money, and then but still, it's a play. They're putting it on, and you know, in Minnesota and Washington D.C. and the Valley, and uh, you know, it was it was it was a it was a really cool learning. What learning brought experience. you to Los Angeles? Well, I wanted to be a writer. I I I, I went to graduate school. I went to college at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Then I went to graduate school at the University of Florida where I met my wife, but it was, I like to say it was, it was the rest of the faculty from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. You know, they were so screwed up. All the teachers were so screwed up and all that sort of thing that I, I didn't finish, you know. And, uh, and I thought, well, I should just try to be a writer. I should try to be a writer and an actor. And so I moved to New York, and uh, there was a, a brief, a brief uh, flurry of, of interest in a play that I'd written 
Ulu Grossbard what was going to direct it, and wow. and, and it was like, oh, it's great, it's great, and then it went away, and. And that, that I, I discovered was the pattern of my career, <laughs> of everybody's <laughs> career. You know, there's always some great thing that's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, my God, this is going to change. And it goes away. Uh, and, and, and sometimes, once or twice, it, it actually, actually happens. happens. It yeah. actually happens. But the rest of the time, you know, you get, you get, you have to, you have to embrace failure, you know. <laughs> you have to embrace that you're, you're going to get kicked in the teeth again and again and again and again. So I uh, I couldn't I couldn't really get into New York. I mean I couldn't find an apartment. I couldn't find a job. And my brother worked in the Crown Bookstore chain, and they had bookstores in Los Angeles. So I knew that I could go and get a, at least a job in Los Angeles. And my wife, her <laughs> her aunt was oddly married to Don Knotts at the time. Wow, and and so I I could I could you know stay in Don Knotts's house till we got an apartment. So hey, this is cool. He's a really nice guy, uh-huh. great guy. He ended up um, straying from the marriage, oh. so I, I lost him <laughs> in the divorce. But but he was a really nice guy. Um, and uh, you know I got an apartment. You know of course right off Hollywood Boulevard, and and spent. First stop, L.A. Three, three four say. years, yeah. you know, trying to get an agent, trying to get a writer, working in a bookstore, writing scripts at night. Uh, uh, I, I didn't know about anything about how to get into the business, so I wrote screenplays, you know. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's a great thing to do. <laughs> and then well, one, of my, um, one of my college friends was Barbara Hall, who was writing it then for Newhart. Right. She's gone. She's now, yeah, Madam Secretary. Success. She does yeah. Madam Secretary. She's a great writer. But at this time, she was writing for New Art, and she told me about writing a spec script. So I wrote a spec script for New Art, and and it, it got into the office, and then she and everybody that she knew on the staff left the show. <laughs> so it was in the office, but nobody who knew me from Adam was there to read it. Right. Cut to three years later, uh, I got a call. For some reason, somebody... Read the script and liked it, and, and by then the entire supporting the cast and New Art had changed. You remember they right, made that, right. they did that. So your script with, itself, so was the script sort of itself irrelevant. was irrelevant. Yeah. But they thought it was it was it good was pretty good. Yeah. So they took me to lunch. They said we don't have a job, we don't have any scripts to give you. But they took me to lunch, which was good because at this point my wife was three months pregnant and we had like thirty two dollars in a checking account and and uh, we're going crazy. But I guess I guess that interested. Barbara's agent enough that he sent it to Heidi Perlman at Cheers and probably other places too. Heidi Perlman read it, liked it, passed it around. Everybody liked the new art script. Uh, they brought me in and uh, to, to pitch. And I had no idea how to pitch and did a terrible job. And uh, they must have kind of liked me because they had me in again. And that this time Glenn and Les were there and we... You know, by the end of the of the long, 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 long day, they'd come up with a story for me to write, and I went and wrote it. Wow. And you were with Cheers for quite some time. You wrote over 20 episodes, and you wrote, I'd say it's like one of my top three favorite Cheers episodes of the 264 that that we made. Dinner at Eightish. Yeah, yeah, I love that episode. And that that was a that was a really that was one of those ones that just everything just came together. And it, I, I hate to say it, it wasn't even really rewritten that much. I mean, it was it was just 
it was just it was it was the I think it was the second or third one with Lilith in it when uh, Fraser- Sam and Diane go to Lilith and Frazier's for dinner. And uh, it's a very uncomfortable. I mean, that and, to me was like a great one act play. Yeah, no, no, that 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 was really that was really a wonderful, uh, great, great experience. Everybody was just top notch in that. You know, Ted was terrific. Bibi was great. Kelsey was great. They just loved it. They just loved it. It was it was that. That's my favorite too. Um, uh, but I wrote. I, I wrote. I think I wrote. I think I'm number two to you, to you guys. Yeah, for, we wrote for writing, like 40. <laughs> for writing the most episodes. And, uh-huh. and I like to say that I wrote the most episodes of any single writer. There you go. <laughs> since, since you wrote uh, yours with, with David Isaacs, of course. But, uh, you know, you guys were with it from the beginning. But um, uh, the, the first year that, I, that I, I worked in the business, in those days, you used to freelance your yep, first year. Yep, there was freelance. So, so, uh, so I did a freelance Cheers, and that was the first one I did. And and they called me in to to watch the show. I, I wasn't involved in the production at all, of course. And they called me in to watch. So I was in the audience watching the show, and everything was different. Everything had been rewritten. Been rewritten. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my god, oh they must have hated it. Oh, I was so failed. And then the last scene was kind of the same. And I think the last <laughs> joke was the same. And but but I didn't. And 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 in retrospect, I learned that that that's a pretty good for a for a freelance writer, you know. You but but I, so I went down onto the stage. And I, I I considered just sort of slinking out afterward. But I went down on the stage, and everybody was very nice, congratulated me, and all that sort of thing. And I was thinking, why we had to we had to change everything. <laughs> and uh, um, and then I did a couple of new hearts. Uh, and then I did a Mary. You did was, a Mary. That, that that's right. I, where I first met you, I believe. Right when we um, were doing the uh, the series for Mary Tyler Moore, the ill-fated Mary, and uh, the show was canceled before we could do your script. But you did a really nice script. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah, I remember yeah. talking to Glenn and Les, yeah. and saying, you know, we got this really good young guy in here and they said yeah we know him he he just did one for us so oh, there was buzz oh. buddy i guess so i guess so and it was interesting. and there and they went which fief was this <laughs> <laughs> you 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 had a beard then and and i i to, the, to this day i always picture you in my mind with a beard <laughs> when did you when did you shave off you know that beard? i i I grew the beard when I was 25, uh-huh. and we were working on MASH, and, uh-huh. and I wanted to look older. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. 25 years old, and I'm giving Harry Morgan notes. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And also beards were kind of fashionable in right, those days. Right, right. As, as they are the again. 70s. As they are again. And then when I reached 40... I thought to myself, why do I want to look older? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, that's, that's when I cut the uh, the beard. And like I looked myself in the mirror and it was like looking at a different person. Because after 15 years, it's like I was just used to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, uh, but the, actually they, they, they offered me a job on, on I, I also did a, a uh, um, uh, All is Forgiven. Okay, and which they, was... Uh, uh, Charles Brothers show, yeah, that lasted one season. And pretty it was good a, show. It was a Beth good show. Armstrong, it was yeah. Carol Kane, Bess Armstrong, mm-hmm. uh, about about a soap opera, about right. writing a soap opera. Right, it's a good idea for a show. Why not? Um, but but they offered me a job on that show, and at this point, I was I had a, a new a newborn baby, and and I'd made like thirty thousand dollars as a as a as a freelance writer, and that was more money. That I could possibly imagine. <laughs> I just, I just thought this is great, and so I thought, 
I know I really want to go in every day and work and that sort of thing. That, nah, I, I don't want that. Now, the Charles brothers must have thought, boy, I guess he's holding out for cheers. That's pretty ballsy of him. Well, okay, we'll give him an officer cheers and see how he does. So the next, you know, in a few months later, they offered me a, a, a job on cheers. And at that point, the agent called me up and said, no, no, you don't understand, <laughs> you know, where this will lead, how much this will pay and all that sort of thing. And I was like, and of course it was cheers, you know. Right. So I, 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 made, a, I made a really ballsy move out of complete ignorance <laughs> because if I'd gone to All is Forgiven, of course, the show would have been canceled. Right. And you'd be off looking for work. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. And, I would, have, how and that. I would have kept working, of course, I suppose. Right, but, but you might have been but, on different shows. Yeah, and, yeah, I wouldn't have had that, that great credit because, you know, Cheers is, is a great credit to have. Of course, now it's not because now when people say Cheers, you know, they expect me to be this ancient, old, doddering, <laughs> arthritic writer who come in and say, oh, my day. <laughs> When right. my day we had laughs, we made real laughs. Um, so I, 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 I don't mention shares a lot in my really and meetings. and uh, of course, I am older than you, but. Uh, I do. I, I'm, I'm proud of Cheers, <laughs> well, and, no, and I'm proud of MASH, I, I, and I remember I, I, watching uh, a 60 Minutes episode talking about ageism and writers, and there was a, a writer, Burt Prolesky, who said oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that he no longer put M.A.S.H. Uh-huh. on his resume because uh-huh. it made uh-huh. him appear too old. And I thought to myself, you know, the day I take M.A.S.H. off of my resume <laughs> is the day I'll sell ties at Macy's, well, well, you know? I um, I mean, I, sure, I talk about it with, with, with other people. But when I'm in, you know, it, it went it went from being, uh, oh, I love Cheers. I love Cheers. It's a great show. To I used to, I used to watch reruns with Cheers, reruns of Cheers, and yeah. I loved it when I was in college. And to my parents love Cheers. <laughs> to I mean, it, it it it's never gotten to the point of Cheers. What's that? But you know, it it does it does seem. And, and you know, I've had I've had you know. I, I talk about Boston Legal more than Cheers, let me put it that way. Although even that's receding in the past. Uh, so um, you moved up through the ranks to where you were one of the showrunners along with Bill and Sherry Stein-Kellner. Right, right. And when Cheers ended, the three of you decided to team up and make your own show. And you did a series for Bob Newhart. Yeah, actually, uh, we left before the show ended. Right. Um you know, if the show, if I'd known that it was going to be the next year was going to be the last year of the show, I probably wouldn't have left. But nobody knew. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, I did a show with Bob Newhart. It was great, great cast: Cynthia Stevenson, uh, Tim Fall. Uh, uh, you know, later had Betty White in it, and and it was a it was a really good show. Really good show. Didn't didn't last. Yeah, but no. boy, what a treat to be working with Bob Newhart. Well, though. it was great. I, I love him, and he's a really nice guy, and 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 you know, real good work ethic, and you know, not doesn't want to work too hard, <laughs> but, but you know, we, 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 you mean like to move across a stage? That's that no, no. But he he used to have a, he used to do a thing. I mean, he was kind of joking where he would you know the the last when you'd be, do the last scene in the run through, right? He'd have his car keys in his hand. <laughs> Because <laughs> he was ready to go, but um, but he was great. He was great, and 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 you know I could just hear his voice in my head, and I knew and every every script he wrote, you know, had to be you know like five pages shorter than any other <laughs> script because he 
stammered and hesitated so often. Right. But it was all gold. It was all gold. He was great. And then, you know, Tom Poston was, you know, guest starred in it and got to know Dick Martin. And and it was it was a wonderful you did a series that a short-lived series on CBS, which I loved, called "Thanks." Yeah, and it yeah, was a yeah. show about pilgrims. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very funny, very novel, and uh, it, it's always baffled me why period sitcoms have such a tough time breaking through. Well, I, I think it's just it's just kind of an odd concept. I mean, I mean, uh it was it was uh it was it was Cloris Leachman and Tim Dutton and Jim Rash was in it who's since then gone yeah. on to do great things and uh one and Kristen Oscar. Nelson and um Erica Christensen and um but it you know it had uh John Farley was a guest star. Anyway, um, but it, it, I, I think it's it's just kind of an odd thing. It sort of looks like a sketch when you're doing it. And in that, I mean, there are a few that have been that have been really good over the years that I remember. I remember the one called Best of the West. That right. Ed Weinberg Earl Pomerantz. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, Earl Pomerantz. <laughs> um, um, uh, uh, obviously, F Troop was successful, I suppose. Uh, in England, the Black Adder was a great success and a good and a really good show and th- these were the shows that we were sort of modeling and after best of the west and black adder and uh you know the idea was you were you would do you would do this is a family sitcom but they're the they're the pilgrims and they're right. living in in the edge of starvation and the indians are around and they don't and, understand germs and, and they don't understand germs yeah. and they don't understand that tobacco will kill you and and there it was a there was a great scene uh that Jim Rash did, uh, uh, where he comes in to rob the general store, and he he tries to load the musket, and it takes him about five minutes to load the muskets. He's putting <laughs> in there; it's great physical humor, and it was it was a really wonderful show. I I personally don't feel that it's a tragedy that the show was canceled after six episodes, or, or we only did six episodes. I. I my, my idea is I'm amazed that they let us do six episodes. <laughs> I was amazed that they let us shoot the pilot. I was amazed. I, they, they, it was the only time I've ever not gotten notes because they couldn't figure out how to give us notes because this show is so weird <laughs> that, that they just sort of let us do what we wanted to do, me, me, and, me and Mark Legan. Um, and uh, um, it was... Uh, it was it was a it was a glorious experience, and the the, the good thing about about shows that that only last a short period of time is that they they never have a time to go bad on you. You know, you get along great with the cast, you get <laughs> along great, you ever you're friends with them forever, and all that because you know it, it's usually around year three that they start to turn on you. You know, <laughs> and if you so if you only do shows that run for you know half a season or season and a half, you know it's 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 all roses and sunshine. You know, that's right. Uh, yeah. Well. Uh, on the other hand, I'm going to talk about your experience with a show called Coupling. Yeah. And Coupling was a show that was uh, done in England by Stephen Moffat, great writer, also did uh, Doctor Who, the new Sherlock series that you good, see. Good friend of mine. You know, brilliant, brilliant writer. And it was kind of an edgier version of Friends with a great cast, really funny. And then NBC, because this was the era of Friends, NBC decided to make an American version of it. And they were going to basically use Stephen's scripts, but they put you in charge of it. And I thought, boy, this is like 
the perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, I was so excited about this, <laughs> and um, and it almost when I when I watch the TV series episodes, I. I kind of think of of this. Right, right, Explain right. a little bit about they, they, what went wrong. They, they, uh, Stephen Moffat and his wife Sue Virtue, who's a wonderful, great, great writer, and 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 she's a terrific lady. And and um, they, they they had been through. Uh, they had they'd shot a previous pilot of Coupling before with a different showrunner and and different cast. And then then they and 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 he was very involved in that. And I think in England, I don't know, is it different or what it is? Or he's just a really angry Scotsman. But he basically was thrown out of the country. <laughs> he, basically couldn't, he basically couldn't be in the room with a network executive. Everything. So, I, I mean, I, talk, I used to talk to him all the time on the phone and, and, and I'd see him. Um, but, but basically he didn't want to have anything to do with it. So, I, you know, we, it, 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 it. I, I felt it was like you know if you do an American ver- if you do a you do a there's a, a a play that has been a big hit in the West End and then you're doing the American version of it you're doing a you're doing it on Broadway and so I thought you know you just sort of you kind of do it the same and now the scripts had to be cut somewhat because their half an hour scripts are actually a half an hour whereas ours are like twenty two right. minutes um, but other than that and I don't know I mean it it, it <sighs> the casting. You know, it seemed to me, whereas the British version went for the best possible actors, the funniest actors, the most real actors, and the U.S. version was just pretty people. Well, I, you know, I mean, they, they, were, they were pretty people in England, too. They were, they were very attractive people yeah, in England. Some of them. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, if, if, you look at, if you look at that cast, every one of those actors has gone on to do great things. I, I don't think they were that bad. I, I personally don't think the show was 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 did you get as a, much of a did failure. Did you get a lot of notes from NBC? Oh yeah, no, no, no. I get tons of notes from NBC, tons of notes from the studio, tons of notes from the pod. I mean, it, it was that era when when which is still going on when you just you're, you're spending all the time trying to diffuse the notes, trying to get the notes out of there, trying to do that, you know, and and you. There's very little time can be spent actually doing the show that you want to do. Um, so that, that, that's actually one of the reasons why I don't like to do multi-camera anymore. Because you know, on a on a one-camera show, they do the they give you notes at the table read, and they can give you a ton of notes at the table read. But that's the last time they right. see it. Then they go away. Yeah. On a on a on a multi-camera show, they see it like three or four times, and every time they can say, "I don't understand. Why do you call him Curly if he is bald?" Uh, <laughs> and, and and all the jokes just get mushed and flattened, and and you know when they would when they would come in and and argue about the the color of the wall set, the color of the paint on the wall, and and I would think, "Oh, great, great. Let them argue about that." Because <laughs> then they're not paying attention to the other stuff, but the costumes, everything. I mean, they were just, they were just in everything, and, and and so you never really had a chance to do the show that you wanted to do. But you know, very talented writers uh, who've all gone to do great things or did great things. Uh, very talented cast. It just, you know, sometimes the magic works and sometimes it doesn't. So you transitioned into screenplays. You wrote uh, Mrs. Winterborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you make that transition? Uh, 
it was after the Bob Newhart show before then, and and uh, um, I, you know, I, I just, I just wanted to try and do as many different things as I can do. That's always been my goal, you know, to keep myself interested and to keep it, um, uh, you know, keep the juices flowing. I, I didn't really think of it in terms of of, you know, furthering my career and all that. I just, you know, I'd always wanted to write a screenplay. So I wrote a spec screenplay and uh, got, you know, interest and people looked at it and all that. And then and then I got hired to do Mrs. Wonderborn and right after that I got hired to do The Fan. Now, and The Fan was a Robert De Niro movie. Right. That was uh, just crushed by critics. And... Uh, and it wasn't very good. It wasn't a very good movie. <laughs> but in fairness, I remember you telling me the story that once you turned in your draft, the phone stopped ringing, as William Goldman used to say, and other well, writers were brought well, I, in. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was the first writer. It was based on a book. It was based on a novel. I was the first writer who wrote, you know, the first screenplay. I wrote a couple of screenplays, you know, and at that point, you're the star. You know, the, the studio's calling you, the network's calling you. I mean, the, the, not the network, but the, the producer's calling you. Everybody's calling you. You know, you, you feel like you're, you're the focus of everything, you know. Right. And then, and I wrote it right, right, pretty quickly, man, but in about a year. You know, I did a number of drafts, but I did it in about a year. And it was, it was by God, they were going to make it. And they were, we were talking about directors, and they were talking about now. For a while, Mac Newell was going to direct it, and, okay. and he, he and I got along great. Uh-huh. And the, and my version of it was more of a of a sort of of a satire of of uh, the star and the fan relationship and and all that, and there was more humor in it. Um, uh, but then he dropped out, um, and then they they hired uh, uh, Tony Scott to direct it, and Wesley Stipes. Wesley Snipes isn't really right for this part because this guy's supposed to be, you know, uh, 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 basically a baseball star who's 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 a uh, you know never had anything go wrong in his life. You know, just you know, it could have been could have been Denzel Washington or somebody, but you know, a guy with this is the first time he's ever had a problem. And Wesley Snipes, you know, is a good actor, but he looks like he's come up from the streets and he's had a lot of problems. Right, you know, right. so that that was and then the De Niro and yeah. I, far be it for me to to object to Robert De Niro being cast, <laughs> but I mean he's played psychos before, you know, uh-huh. and it, this was supposed to be a, a obsessive fan, and it was like, well, God, you know, he did it in King of Comedy, he did it in Taxi Driver. I mean, he's done this. I, I, you know, uh, uh, Tony Scott actually wanted to get Johnny Depp, um, and this was before Johnny Depp was Johnny as, Depp as respected an actor as it was, and they didn't they didn't want to do it. He would have been good, um, but. But still, you know, still when I looked at the, I thought, well, you know, they got Tony Scott, they got Robert De Niro, they got Wesley Snipes. I must have done a really good job. And then the first thing they do is they they fire me, or they 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 discontinued my work on it, and they hire. I I, I, I believe it was Frank Darabont to rewrite it. So I mean, I, you can't object to that too because right. that's a, a you know a big name. And so I'm gonna then I, I get a call, and. They're going into production, and they need production rewrites, and they they want to hire me to do production rewrites. So I'm rewriting somebody's rewritten version of what I wrote, and the characters, of course, are completely different, <laughs> and I don't know what the hell the characters are, and and they're flying me up to San Francisco, and I put me in a closet and having me write stuff on the set, and flying me down to 
to uh, to Anaheim where they filmed the baseball stuff. And of course, Tony Scott, you know, tragic end. Uh-huh. Uh, but he was a nut. I mean, he he, he was he was he was a he was a enthusiastic nut. He always wore the same red cap and red vest and short shorts. And he would he was, he was fucking great. And I, and everybody used to he, he had this whole idea that at the end of the climactic end of the last baseball game, the climactic end of it, there'd be pouring rain. Right. You know, and then every time, you know, they they, they stop they, the game. They, they stop. Yeah. They, they call. They call baseball games when it rains. They don't do that. No, it'll be fucking great. It'll be fucking great, man. And he'd call you when he was, you know, mountain climbing and you know, giving you notes and all that stuff. And so, yeah, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And uh, and then I um, and then I, I went to the to the to the screening, to the premiere of the of the show, and you know, and it was not very good. You know, and it was, and it was not, not only that. There was like, there was like one scene that I'd really written <laughs> because I, I, at, at various times, like for instance, they 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 went and they they told me when I was doing the rewrites, they told me, you know, we we want this show to to get a a, a PG thirteen, so you you can't say fuck more than twice, okay. Uh-huh. And so I go through the script. Oh God, that's right. So I go through the script and I and I and I, I pick the two fucks that are the most important to the script. Okay, and I guess I must have spent a day doing that. Oh, I was going again. I went cut to Robert De Niro, who is ad libbing constantly. Well, fuck this! What the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? And I think I just want that day back. I just want that day back because anyway. But um, it it, it there was only like one scene that was any remote bore any remote resemblance to what I wrote. Uh, but my name was on there because Frank Darabont didn't want it. <laughs> so my name was there, written by Fief Sutton. And uh and, and it, it was not very good and it, it didn't it didn't do very well and, and, and however I, I, I will say since then, you know, it's funny, as enough time passes and people will see it on TV now, and they won't be aware that it was a bomb. And uh, I get a lot of people liking it now. You know, uh-huh. a lot of people saying, "Yeah, it's a good movie." Oh, that's a good, that's yeah, a cool yeah. movie. You know what I'm yeah, I don't get that with Mannequin Two. <laughs> <laughs> do you get that with Volunteers? Yes. Yeah. Oh no, we do. We yeah, do get yeah, that with Volunteers. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. I was happy with Volunteers. And 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 uh, you know, Mrs. Winterborn too. It was it was a good experience. Was I right? Great guest, Fief Sutton. That was part one of our two-part interview. Next week, we're going to talk about his transition to TV drama, also a very serious health scare that he had, and then his life as a novelist. We'll also talk about his writing process, some advice for young writers. Part two is every bit as good as part one. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. And as always, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, and Randy Thomas. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. Also, if you have any comments or questions, I am available via email, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Once again, that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Come back next week for part two of my interview with Thief Sutton. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.